Hi everyone, uh, this is Mark and this is the Mark Hastings Experience and uh, in this podcast uh, I'm going to be talking about everything from poetry to films to uh, TV shows to books and about uh, anything and everything that inspires me and uh, I hope you like what you hear. Hi everyone, this is Mark, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Hastings Experience. And in this episode, uh, I'm continuing my uh, voyage through the Star Trek uh, motion picture uh, franchise. Um, In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about uh, one of my favourite Star Trek films, and um, one of the most um, commercially successful Star Trek films, and also a fan favourite. And the film is, of course, Star Trek First Contact, uh, which came out in 1996 and was directed by none other than Jonathan Frakes, um, who is uh, well known for starring in Star Trek The Next Generation as the character uh, Commander uh, William T. Riker, uh, who's the first officer of the USS Enterprise D and also of the USS Enterprise E which also makes its uh, debut in this film and um, it's the second film uh, to feature the cast of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation TV show and I remember watching this film um, at the cinema it was the second Star Trek film that I ever got to see at the cinema and I in fact remember the year 1996 like it was yesterday i remember the the uh film premiere of um star trek first contact i mean i didn't i didn't get to go to the the film premiere but i remember it being reported on uh the news here in uh here in the uk uh the cast and the crew of star trek first contact were on the national lottery um tv show uh, uh, promoting Star Trek First Contact and it did seem as if um, there was a great deal of um, anticipation from not only the fans but also the general public for this film and uh, it was great to see, I, I remember it like it was yesterday watching the TV and seeing um, the cast uh, uh, being on the, on the television talking about, about the film um, Yes, yeah, so it's one of my favourite films. Um, it's visually uh, stunning, uh, and the story is also uh, incredible. Um, and the film itself is um, a sequel to the uh, preceding film, Star Trek uh, Generations. It's also a sequel to uh, some of the... Um, the episodes and uh, experiences that some of the characters had in previous um, episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, And it's also a a prequel to um, the events of the Star Trek franchise because uh, some most part, mostly uh, the film takes place in the 21st century on earth um but also uh within the 24th century 
which is the century in which uh, Star Trek The Next Generation was set and the adventures of the USS Enterprise uh, D take place. Uh, so the film um, mainly uh, centres around and uh, the main antagonist of the film um, is that of the Borg Collective. And if you're not familiar with the Borg, the Borg are an uh, a collective group of mainly humanoids who are the uh, the most recurring antagonists um, just just below the the Klingons, I would say, and and the Romulans. But the Borg um, are one of the the most deadliest uh, enemies of. Um, the United Federation of Planets um, and all life forms in the galaxy uh, because they are a uh, a race of cybernetically augmented um, humanoids uh, who are all linked together through a hive mind and who are on this um, mission you could say this obsession with assimilation, assimilating uh, knowledge and technology, um, and they also um, have this because they have this hive mentality. All of them, every Borg drone, as they're called, the the individuals of the Borg collective are called. Each Borg drone is a part of this this. Um, collective um, consciousness they're all linked together um, and they all work as one as if they were bees within a, a beehive and they when they meet other civilizations they um, assimilate them uh, by force mostly um, they insert nanoprobes into the bloodstream of um, the alien individuals that they encounter, the civilizations, and they transform them through a rapid um, process um, in which the technology that has been inserted into their body transforms them and very quickly um, indoctrinates them and assimilates them into the Borg collective uh, and the hive mind. And over... Um, over a short amount of time, these newly assimilated individuals um, are uh, augmented and enhanced, <clears throat> excuse me, by um, technology, uh, and they are covered in mostly uh, black. And as I say, they 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 are all they are become more uh, machine than. Um, than uh, biology, but they are a combination of the two because they are uh, cyborgs, they're a cybernetic organism, so they are a combination of both technology and biology all working in tandem with one another. Uh, but they have no individual thought process, these Borg drones, they all become um, the, uh, they're all at the, the beck and call of the the whole the 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 one the one voice the one mind um, and the Borg 
um, it is believed originate from the Delta Quadrant of the galaxy, which is on the other side of the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy from where Earth is situated. Um, the crews of several starships have, in the Star Trek franchise, have um, encountered uh, the Borg, including the USS Enterprise D, um, as captained by uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, and they encountered, um, <coughs> excuse me, the Borg in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in the second season, in an episode called Q Who, when the uh, uh, omnipotent um, entity known as Q uh, wanted to show the crew of the Enterprise that they were not as prepared for the um, most powerful and antagonistic alien races that existed in the universe, uh, in the galaxy that they had not yet encountered. So he flung them 7,000 light years away, uh, and that is when they encountered the first Borg cube, which is uh, the shape that all of the Borg vessels usually um are are seen as they they look like these uh, vast uh, metal cube shaped vehicles um and they're able to travel at transwarp speeds and able to uh cross vast distances throughout the throughout the uh, the galaxy um via uh, transwarp technology which is very is faster than warp drive faster than the speed of light um and also the starship USS Voyager uh, encountered um, the Borg on multiple occasions uh, in the TV series Star Trek Voyager. Um, um, and the, the USS Voyager was captained by Captain Catherine Janeway, who was played by Kate Mulgrew. And they uh, came into contact with the Borg on multiple occasions uh, throughout the, um, the series USS throughout the series uh, Voyager, uh, Star Trek Voyager, um, and in fact at one point, um, I think it was in the uh, the beginning of season four of Star Trek Voyager, um, the Borg started to become, uh, to play more of a part in the storytelling of Voyager, uh, when um, a former drone by the name of Seven of Nine, who was played by Jerry Ryan, became a member of the crew of Voyager um, and went through a process of being de-assimilated and having to find her own humanity because she had been uh, assimilated uh, along with her parents when she was, uh, when she was a, still a child, when she was a girl. And she was, um, she'd been a part of the Borg Collective for the majority of her life. So her assimilation back into, um, into the Voyager uh, crew, into Starfleet, into thinking like an individual human again, was very hard. And this is something that Borg drones, ex-Borg drones, encounter. And it's seen throughout um, the Star Trek franchise when... Uh, certain episodes deal with um, individuals that are having post-traumatic stress disorder or they are having uh, recurring nightmares about their time as a Borg drone. 
um, as a part of the Borg Collective. And one individual who was uh, a Borg drone, who is now an ex-Borg drone, is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And when we first meet him at the beginning of the film, uh, Star Trek First Contact, uh, he is having a nightmare. Um, it's the 24th century, of course. It's the year um, 2373. And Jean-Luc Picard is having a nightmare uh, about uh, his experience when he was assimilated by the Borg Collective six years previously. And he was um, transformed into a Borg drone by the name of Locutus of Borg. And Locutus of Borg was to be um, kind of like a bridge between humanity and the Borg Collective. He, they, were to be uh, an, an equal to um, the Borg Queen, as we discover in this, in this film. Because the Borg, uh, like a, any kind of uh, colony, any kind of hive, um, in talking in terms of a beehive, it has at its heart, at the centre of it all, uh, a queen. And the Borg are no different. They have a queen, Borg queen, uh, who's played by Alice Krieger in this film. And she was incredibly um, uh, incredibly close to Locutus. And Locutus, um, Jean-Luc Picard, spent almost a week as um, Locutus of Borg after being um, captured and assimilated into the Borg Collective and um, and slowly but surely converted and having his humanity taken away and having several parts of his body augmented. Um, and as um, Locutus of Borg, Jean-Luc Picard... Um, engaged with Starfleet uh, vessels at a battle called Wolf 359 in which um, I think 39 vessels were destroyed and a mod of 39 vessels were um, brought together to try and destroy this Borg cube but um, as a result of the knowledge and tactics and information that the Borg had obtained and assimilated from Captain Jean-Luc Picard, they were easily able to um, uh, destroy this armada and they were able to proceed uh, um, on their journey to Earth because the Borg's um, most defiant adversary is that of humanity and Earth because they have been... Um, aware of humanity for a great deal of time uh, in fact if we think about the, the entire franchise as a whole um, humanity first encountered the Borg um, in the year uh, 2152 I believe it was in uh, an episode of the Star Trek series Enterprise um, and of course this um, this happened uh, 
as a consequence to the events of Star Trek First Contact. But um, in the episode of Enterprise, they find the wreckage of a Borg ship. And of course the wreckage comes from the ship that uh, is encountered in this film, Star Trek First Contact. But anyway, uh, so yeah, Jean-Luc Picard, he used to be a Borg drone. He was eventually uh, um, released from the grip of the collective. He was rescued and he uh, was able to find a way to um, re-assimilate himself back into the Federation uh, and to um, carry on being the captain of the Enterprise. And um, he seemed to have no um, ill effects as a result of being assimilated. However, as we discover in the film, at the beginning of this film, uh, Captain Picard is having nightmares about his assimilation, which he would after... Uh, going through such a, a terrifying experience as being um, abducted and assimilated into uh, a cybernetic uh, race. Um, and he uh, awakens and immediately uh, begins to receive a message from a Starfleet Admiral, uh, Admiral Hayes, who um, informs him that there is a new Borg threat uh, against Earth, and even before uh, Admiral Hayes finishes his sentence uh, to tell Captain Picard what is occurring, Captain Picard already knows. He feels the presence. the the um, The Borg are within close proximity, or they are they are approaching, and it just it seems to be some kind of uh, instinct that is um, this. That has stayed with him. He's able to uh, sense the approach of the Borg because there is perhaps some something still within Captain Picard that he can't shake off. And Captain Picard had encountered um, the Borg since he had been assimilated, but uh, they were mostly um, disconnected individuals from the Borg Collective. However, uh, the Borg that are approaching Earth now in Star Trek First Contact, they are a major threat. This is a Borg cube that it would be capable of um, assimilating the entire planet of Earth. So they are, are a great threat. Um, however, and even though Captain Jean-Luc Picard is one of the most uh, knowledgeable um, uh, about the Borg and he's had the most experience with the Borg he has been ordered by Starfleet Command to um, patrol um, the neutral zone between the United Federation of Planets and the Romulan Empire uh, so that he would not become um seemingly emotionally involved with the Borg um, because he has he's too close to them and that he his presence at a battle against the Borg would be a distraction and of course he's not happy about this and um, he 
speaks to his first officer, uh, Commander Riker, uh, as well as his senior staff. Um, at first, they think that they've been ordered to patrol the neutral zone because they haven't had much shakedown time with the ship because they've only been a, the crew has only been aboard the USS Enterprise for a year. Um, uh, and of course, this Enterprise um, is the successor to the previous USS Enterprise, um, NCC 1701D, which Captain Picard also commanded, and the crew were also the crew of. Um, but they're not happy, and um, Captain Picard is um, a little uh, annoyed. Uh, however, uh, very soon it is uh, word comes through that uh, a large fleet has engaged in a battle with the Borg Cube, which uh, has continued unabated to uh, Sector 001, which is uh, another name for our solar system where Earth is located. And the, this uh, armada that has been sent to engage the Borg have not been able to slow it down and it's continued its progress. Um, and when uh, uh, Captain Picard finds out about this, he decides to disobey orders and head for Earth so that he can engage in the battle against the Borg. Um, and of course the entire crew um, agrees because, you know, that they, they could not understand why they were being kept out of the battle with the Borg themselves um but the uh the uss enterprise e uh jumps into warp and heads for earth and when they arrive in um the solar system very close to earth they discover that uh, an armada of starfleet ships are engaging the borg they are firing at them but they are in um very they've been very badly damaged the majority of the vessels that have engaged the borg have been destroyed and one of the uh, starfleet ships that is engaging the borg cube is the uss defiant um uh which of course is a starship that is uh that um can be seen within the star trek uh series deep space nine uh it first came into the the series back in season three, uh, right at the beginning of season three, and uh, in that series, it's captained by uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko. Uh, but in the the film, the USS Defiant is being captained by uh, um, Worf, Lieutenant Commander Worf, uh, the Klingon officer who was previously a um, a crew member of the USS Enterprise D. Uh, but when a uh, the, a war broke out between the uh, the Klingons and the United Federation of Planets, Worf was asked to transfer to uh, Space Station Deep Space Nine um, to help uh, with the strategical planning of the war and to assist uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko on that space station. And he remained there, uh, but he frequently... Uh, was seen aboard the USS Defiant and uh, for reasons that weren't uh, explained uh, he was captain the USS Defiant and he 
engaged in the battle with the Borg cube in um, in the solar system near Earth. Um, however, the USS Enterprise arrives with Captain Picard in command. Uh, he orders that he's uh, going to take command of the fleet, and um, it's a good job he does arrive at the at this exact moment because um, things were going so battle in the things were going so bad in the battle that at one point uh, um, Lieutenant Commander Worf was about to order the USS Defiant to ram the Borg cube uh, in an effort to destroy it. Uh, but the Enterprise arrives uh, to the relief of of Worf um, and because uh, Captain Picard has um, a great deal of knowledge about the Borg just as the Borg had a great deal of knowledge about the Federation because of their assimilation of Captain Picard Captain Picard is able to uh, direct the, the fleet of ships that remain who are attacking the Borg cube to attack a um, a point on the Borg cube that appears to be unimportant but uh, Captain Picard assures um, Lieutenant Commander Data, who's played by Brent Spiner, to uh, ask the, the the armada of ships to attack this location because even though it seems unimportant, it will it is a a point or a place on board the Borg cube of great significance. So uh, the fleet attacked the Borg cube at the specific point that uh, Captain Picard. Um, asked them to focus on and within moments the Borg cube appears to be severely damaged and uh, just before it is destroyed it launches a smaller spherical shaped um, ship um, uh, then the Borg cube blows uh, uh, explodes um, however the, the spherical uh, ship that it launched uh, heads to Earth, um, and moments after, just before it, it as it approaches the the, the planet, it uh, starts to uh, emit um, chronometric radiation, um, and it it creates a vortex, and chronometric radiation within the Star Trek. Uh, universe is all always associated with time travel and it is a means to travel um, through time so what the, the Borg uh, sphere uh, is basically creating is a temporal vortex uh, and um, as a result of the USS Enterprise E uh, pursuing the Borg sphere to Earth it becomes caught in this temporal vortex um, and as they are caught in the vortex um, Captain Picard and the crew of the Enterprise appear to see the planet Earth become um, assimilated before their eyes seemingly as if the Borg sphere must have excuse me must have arrived at an earlier point in time in the history of Earth and had assimilated the population because when uh, Lieutenant Commander Data scans the the the, uh, the planet 
he see he uh, he uh, detects nine billion individuals all Borg. So this is what um, pushes Captain Jean Luc Picard to uh, to order the ship to continue its uh, its pursuance of the Borg through the temporal vortex, um, and then not long after the 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 Borg sphere and the Enterprise disappear um, it, through the temporal vortex, and they find themselves at an earlier point in time. And the earlier point in time that they find themselves is the year 2063. In fact, they arrive on April the 4th, 2063. And the Borg Cube arrives uh, slightly before the Enterprise E. And um, on the surface of Earth uh, at this point, uh, which um, is a point... Uh, 10 years after uh, the Earth has been uh, decimated by a nuclear holocaust um, of uh, a World War III. Um, in the, and Earth is in its remnants. Most of the major cities of Earth have been um, destroyed and the population has been decimated and the world is in a very... A very dark and a very bad place. Uh, however, um, at this point in time, um, a um, very uh, smart engineer uh, by the name of Zephram Cochran uh, is developing a new form of propulsion system. Uh, in fact, he's, uh, he has invented a warp drive, the first faster-than-light technology, and um, he it's located in um, Bozeman, Montana, which is where uh, Zephram Cochran is from, and um, Zephram Cochran is portrayed in the in the film by uh, the the great actor James Cromwell. But the character of Zephram Cochran uh, is not a new character. Uh, they had previously um, appeared in the original Star Trek series uh, in an episode called Metamorphosis, where the, the crew of the Enterprise, um, Captain James T. Kirk, uh, encountered a, um, uh, a, a version of Zephram Cochran. And this is when uh, long-time viewers... Uh, of the the franchise got to first um find out who was the inventor of um of the first warp drive um but in star trek first contact uh we get to see who zephyr cochran really was and um he is someone uh who is just like every other human on earth at this point in the year 23 in the year 2063 um and he's just trying to survive and he believes that creating this warp drive uh will be a a source of financial gain for him um and he's working on the the project with uh his team of engineers and also his assistant lily sloan um who's played by um 
who's played by uh, Alfre Woodard, and um, and they uh, are planning to launch their uh, uh, ship that has been fitted with the first warp drive, which has been named the Phoenix, um, the next day. But um, after the Borg Sphere arrives in orbit, they immediately start to attack Earth. And they launch an attack and destroy some of the facilities and some of the buildings around where uh, Zephram Cochrane and Lily are. Um, however, um, not long after they started their attack, the USS Enterprise E arrives in the 21st century. Um, they engage the Borg Sphere and they launch quantum torpedoes at the Sphere and eventually destroy the Sphere. Um, however, uh, it turns out that they didn't destroy all of the Borg because the Borg were somehow able to uh, escape the Sphere in some way, shape or form and it is eventually discovered that they have survived. Um, but when they do an analysis of the the atmosphere and the planet and the um, and where they are, the the crew of the Enterprise discover that they um, are in the year twenty sixty three, and they also um, theorize that the Borg arrived here to stop first contact, and first contact was the first contact that uh, aliens, uh, that humanity ever had with an alien civilization. And this would take place um, the next day, and on uh, April the 5th, 2063, and it would coincide with uh, the launch of Zephram Cochrane's Phoenix warpship. And the first contact between humanity and the the first official contact of i should say uh between humanity and a um and an alien race would take place because of Zephram Cochran's warp test and when the uh the alien race uh detected that um humanity now um obtained and possessed um warp technology that would mean that they were ready to um, to know about um, the other alien races that are elsewhere in the galaxy, and if this this does not take place, if the uh, the first test of the the warp drive is not does not take place, then the alien race will not be redirected to Earth, and as a result, the uh, future as it um, was supposed to um, happen, uh, everything. Um, including uh, all the adventures of all of the enterprises um, and all the all the, the the entire Star Trek franchise, uh, essentially, would not come to be if this flight of the Phoenix does not take place. Um, so realizing that th this has to uh, has to take place, uh, however, detecting that there has been damage done to the surface. Uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard um, commands an, an away team, um, which are who are all dressed 
um, with um, in the right attire uh, for the the 21st century. They beam down and they go to the um, the location of where the uh, the Phoenix is to be launched from, which is an abandoned uh, nuclear missile uh, facility, um, and they go there to 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 find out if Zephram Cochrane is still alive, um, uh, because it is he is the one responsible. He is the one uh, who is known throughout human history as being um, the uh, the one, the man who ushered in a new era for humanity and brought them out of the ashes of this nuclear holocaust. Uh, so they go to the, the facility, but they can't find Cochrane at first. Uh, however, they encounter Lily Sloan, uh, who's played by Alfred Woodard, um, and she's uh, she immediately picks up a gun and attacks. The away team um, shoots directly at Lieutenant Commander Data. He's played by Brent Spiner, who of course is an android and uh, can't be as easily um, killed by a, uh, a weapon. But uh, Lily only attacks them because she she just be she believes that they are the attackers. She believes that they are perhaps a part of one of the uh, aggressors who had. Uh, um, scorched the earth in such a way uh, during the, the Third World War. Um, but uh, Lily, um, after she tries to shoot at Lieutenant Commander Data and he appears to be unharmed, um, she uh, faints. Um, however, she's, be, she's attended to by um, Dr. Beverly Crusher. He's played by Gates McFadden, and um, she is. She it appears that she has fainted because there has been um, a radiation leak as a result of the attack by the Borg, and she needs to go back to the Enterprise to be um, um, to have um, treatment because she is suffering from radiation poisoning, as are and as will be the all members of the the away team who have been down to the facility. Uh, so uh, Lily is beamed up to the Enterprise with uh, Doctor Crusher, while uh, Captain Picard and Lieutenant Commander Data remain on the surface to search for Doctor Cochrane, and also to um, to continue and make all the repairs that need to be made to the Phoenix and to the facility. Uh, so that the the warp flight can proceed um, the next day. Um, however, aboard the USS Enterprise, uh, just before uh, Lieutenant Commander Geordie LaForge, who's played by LeVar Burton, leaves the Enterprise um, to go down to Earth to help with the uh, um, the uh, repairs to the the Phoenix and the the warp facility, um, warp drive facility. Um, he uh, asks some of his engineers to check out the uh, 
the uh, temperature controls because within the engineering section it seemed the, the temperature seems to be uh, quite high and higher than it usually would be um, so while he's uh, on the surface of earth uh, in Bozeman Montana um, his engineers go through some of the Jeffries tubes uh, which are like engineering access tubes to uh, locate the um, the atmospheric um, uh, problems to find out why it's so so warm uh, in engineering and they this is when they come into contact with Borg drones who have seemingly uh, had seemingly found a way to escape the Borg sphere um, just before it was destroyed. They're aboard the Enterprise and they are in the process of assimilating um, Deck 16 of um, the Enterprise and all of the um, the decks below it uh, up to uh, Deck uh, 24, 26 I think. Uh, and Almost immediately, when they are discovered, uh, the Borg drones are discovered, Captain Picard gets a sense and he starts to hear the the song of the Borg collective. Uh, he is if he senses that the Borg are still alive. And this is when he, um, he uh, makes contact with the Enterprise and asks if everything's alright up there. Um, but he knows... He knows that there's something going on. So that's when um, he and Lieutenant Commander Data uh, beam back to the Enterprise. And um, um, they discover that the Borg are aboard the ship. They, have assimilate, they are assimilating crew members. They are modifying the ship to their own standards and their own technology. Um... While uh, uh, while Commander Riker, who's played by Jonathan Frakes, and uh, Counselor Deanna Troy, who's played by Marina Sirtis, stay on the surface of Earth to uh, try and locate Zephyrin Cochrane, uh, who they do discover in an intoxicated state and also um, singing and uh, dancing to music on the jukebox in the in the uh the bar that is there uh near the the um the facility the warp drive facility and he doesn't appear to be anything like anybody had expected or envisioned um and he's um yeah he he's uh definitely not uh, doesn't meet the, the expectations of anybody. Uh, however, um, Deanna Troy, um, Councillor Deanna Troy, attempts to um, convince uh, Zephram Cochran of who she is, who they are, the crew uh, that have landed on on ent on um, on Earth. Uh, he, she's tried to convince them that they're from the 24th century, that they've come to help uh, Zephram Cochran in the launch of his ship. But in the process, she has only just um, 
found herself being intoxicated along with Zephram Cochran. Um, uh, and on board the Enterprise, um, Captain Picard and a team are attempting to reach engineering to try and disable the Borg. Um, they have a plan to let out um, some um, corrosive gas that will uh, destroy the biological components of all of the Borg drones. Um, and of course, because they are cybernetic organisms, uh, they, they, their te the technolo technological part of them cannot function without the biological part. Uh, and they would be uh, forced back and um, hopefully eventually uh, defeated. But um, during the the attempt to get to engineering, um, Lieutenant Commander Data is um, captured. Um, Lily Sloan wakes up in um, sick bay, and um, when while well, the Borg are trying to uh, get into sick bay, so uh, Doctor Crusher uh, ushers. Um, Lily and the other patients within sick bay uh, down a Jeffrey's tube to try and make their escape and to try and create a, a diversion for their escape. Um, Dr. Crusher um, initiates the emergency medical hologram, uh, who's played by uh, Robert Picardo, who also portrays the emergency medical hologram on the uh, Star Trek series Star Trek Voyager. Uh, one of the most prominent uh, characters on on that series, and of course, the at this point, all of the holograms all look the same. So that's how Robert Picardo could uh, appear in uh, Star Trek: First Contact as another version of the emergency medical hologram. But anyway, so Doctor Crusher leads um, her patients away from um, away from sick bay, uh, but Lily. Um, uh, makes her escape and tries to go her own way and get uh, make her own way through the ship. Um, um, and Captain Picard, who's trying to get away from the the uh, the Borg um, who were attacking his uh, his team, he and he finds himself uh, coming to a crossroads uh, and encounters Lily. Um, who uh, takes his phaser weapon and uh, confronts him and asks that she be um, be taken taken away uh, but he takes her to uh, somewhere where he can explain to her who he is where they are they're aboard a starship in orbit of earth um, and to explain and uh, as a result of their their time together, Captain Picard uh, is able to convince Lily of who he is um, and who humanity will become in the future. Um, in, in, an example of this is that there is no money in the 24th century, that humanity now works to better themselves and each other through mutual cooperation rather than war. Um, however, uh along their way they encounter some borg drones and uh captain jean-luc picard um uh 
tries to attract the attention of these Borg drones uh, and to uh, uh, bring them onto the holodeck of the of the Enterprise, where uh, the crew can create holographic recreations of anything that can be imagined. Uh, they 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 are holograms, but they look and they feel real. Everything that is created. But uh, Captain Picard lures these Borg drones to um, the holodeck, and he creates a, a recreation of a famous uh, holodeck uh, program that he um, participates in on regular um, um, occurrences, uh, which is the a holodeck program of Dixon Hill, which is a detective um, story uh, in which Captain Picard plays the title character of Dixon Hill. Um, and as I say, he, he lures the Borg into the holodeck so that he can get a, uh, a Tommy gun that uh, he can use against the Borg drones who uh, are in fact ex-crew members of the the Enterprise who have been assimilated by the Borg um, but uh, Captain Picard is able to um, to kill them both and he reveals that one of the the crew members is uh, uh, Lieutenant Lynch and what he wants to do is to uh, obtain one of the process the sub-processors that some of the Borg drones have aboard them um, are in their uh, on their person, so that he can use them to try and access information about the Borg. And it is during this encounter that Lily realizes that there is something off about Captain Picard. That he has this uh, hate, this anger against the Borg personally um and um then captain picard and lily uh, uh make their way to the bridge of the enterprise uh to try and come up with a um a plan to try and defeat the borg and by analyzing one of the processes that he took from one of the borg drones that he killed on the holodeck uh, he analyzes it with his tricorder and he realizes that the Borg are trying to uh, convert the deflector dish of the Enterprise into an interplexing beacon in an attempt to contact the Borg uh, in, uh, at this time in the, uh, the 20th, 21st century. Who at this time, the Borg are still in the Delta Quadrant, thousands of light years away. But if the Borg are were con, were contacted now in the 21st century, then they could arrive at Earth centuries before they were originally first encountered, and they could assimilate Earth without being stopped um, so very easily, which would lead to the 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 Earth be being assimilated. Uh, so the only they the only way to stop them from doing this. Um, is um, is uh, deemed that uh, Captain Picard 
Lieutenant Commander Worf and the ship's navigator, Lieutenant Hawk, uh, go onto the the hull of the Enterprise uh, to try and um, to try and kill uh, and try and stop the the Borg uh, from assimilating. Um, um, the rest of the ship and creating this interplexing beacon to contact the um, the Borg Collective. And while this is all going on, uh, Lieutenant Commander Data is in engineering, and this is where he and we, as the viewers, first uh, um, were introduced to the Borg Queen, who's played by Alex Krieger. And as she describes herself, she's she's the beginning, the end, the one who is many, and she um, she is essentially the Borg. Everything she is perhaps the only individual within the Borg collective. She's the one who calls all the shots, and um, she um, she's uh, a character that uh, also appears in Star Trek Voyager. On a couple of occasions, which of course the and those episodes take place chronologically after uh, Star Trek First Contact. So it appears that the Borg Queen is able to become reincarnated uh, at other points, um, but that isn't known um, at this point or after Star Trek First Contact. Um, but yeah, she. Um, introduces herself and she says to she basically conveys the data that um uh, that you know their their mission as the borg are to become more perfect by acquiring and assimilating more individuals and more species into their collective and also um harmoniously incorporating technology into their bodies which makes them um um, closer to perfection as they deem it to be um, and she uh, compares their mission of assimilation uh, into incorporating technology in with um, data's uh, mission um, of incorporating um, becoming more human because that is his guiding principle he wants to he's a machine who wants to become more human and to show data uh, what it's truly like to be human or uh, biological um, she and the boar craft a piece of skin uh, human skin onto data's body and uh, she blows on the the the, uh, the hair on the on the skin of his uh, on the arm that it has been uh, placed onto and she stimulates it she blows and he has an emotional response to this um, and she says uh, was that good for you and uh, he's obviously uh, titillated by it you could say uh, because he's never encountered such feelings such emotion before and it's uh, obviously it's it's something that he's always wanted to to feel like a human being or to to become more human so he is, uh, the Borg Queen is trying to give Data what he always wanted, basically. 
more humanity. Um, and she's trying to get him on their on the, her side because um, right at the moment that they that the crew uh, discovered that the Borg had assimilated had come aboard the Enterprise and was attempting to assimilate all of the information from the computer system. Data was able to encrypt the data and stop them, stop the Borg in their tracks. And over the course of the film, the Borg have been trying to hack into the Enterprise's computer system and decrypt uh, all of the information that Data had encrypted at the beginning. So all of the... Um, the actions that the Borg Queen has been carrying out have been in an attempt to lure uh, Lieutenant Commander Data to her side to give him what he always wanted, more humanity, but also so that he would um, decrypt all of the information so that uh, the Borg Queen could have full access to the Enterprise's computer system. <clears throat> and she tries very hard to to uh to lure him and to engage with uh lieutenant commander data on a physical level as well as on an emotional level but this is all a a a plan uh, to lure uh, and to convince data to give her what she wants um and as the uh the effort to try and fight back against the borg um um, becomes uh, seemingly harder and impossible. Uh, this leads to Captain Picard uh, coming to um, a bit of a face-off with Lieutenant Commander Worf. Uh, it's played by Michael Dorn. And this is when uh, Commander Worf tries to explain to Captain Picard that it is... You know the, the the Borg are taking over too much of the ship. Um, that we ha that that the the ship is lost. That the the crew has to leave, uh, or everybody will be assimilated. And of course, uh, because of Captain Picard's long history with the Borg, and because he knows, you know what what happened to him. He's struggling. He's still suffering from post traumatic stress disorder and from being assimilated um, six years previous, he doesn't want to give up. And, uh, you know, he calls Lieutenant Commander Worf uh, a coward because he wants to run away and not confront the Borg. And this leads to Lieutenant Commander Worf to um, come toe-to-toe -to -toe with Captain Jonic Picard and say... If you were any other man, I would kill you while you stand. And he would. I mean, you know, if this if he didn't have the respect that he had for Captain Picard, then he probably would have took him out. But um, he walked away, and then uh, Captain Picard orders uh, Doctor Crusher because she's the the next in line, um, senior officers to. Um, to continue with the assault against the Borg uh, and to not slow down, to not stop, rather than escape the, the Enterprise. Um, so then he uh, goes to the observation lounge to continue to modify some of the phaser rifles that they have 
so that they may um, get through the Borg uh, drone shielding so that they can continue their progress to the engineering section to carry out the mission to um, let out the corrosive um, gas so that they can destroy the Borg that are centrally located within the um, engineering section. But of course, uh, at this point, Captain Picard has no knowledge and he, has, he does not realise that the Borg Queen is aboard the Enterprise um, with Lieutenant Commander Data. However, then, uh, after Captain Jean-Luc Picard uh, goes to the observation lounge, uh, he's followed by Lily Sloan, uh, played by Alfred Woodard, and she confronts Captain Picard for his reasons for continuing the fight against the Borg. Um, and it's not about anybody else, it's just about him. That's what she says to him. And uh, she compares him to Captain Ahab, from um, who's the main protagonist from Herman Melville's um, um, legendary story, Moby Dick. Uh, and Captain, Captain Ahab is the captain of the whaling ship uh, Pequod. And during a previous voyage, um, a white whale by the name of Moby Dick bit off Captain Ahab's leg. Uh, and... Um, as a result, he is scarred by this, and uh, um, aboard the the, the Pequod, uh, Captain Ahab ends up hunting uh, the white whale uh, for revenge against how he was scarred. Um, and uh, as a result, at the end of uh, Herman Melville's Moby Dick, Moby Dick um, is confronted by Captain Ahab, but... Um, uh, his hatred um, stops him from um, being cautious, and this leads to the, the the white whale eventually dragging Ahab to the bottom of the sea and killing him. And this is what uh, Lily is alluding to when she compares Captain Picard to Captain Ahab, because he too was scarred by a white whale, and in Captain Picard's case, the white whale is... The Borg, and they scarred him, and he holds a grudge, <coughs> excuse me, against the Borg because of what they did to him six years previously. Uh, but initially, Captain Picard disregards this and says, "This is not about revenge." Um, and Lily says, "John Luke, blow up the damn ship." And he says no, and he lashes out, and he smashes a a nearby um, uh, a nearby uh, um, glassed uh, enclosure where they have uh, where there are models of all the previous um, starships named Enterprise, uh, including the previous USS Enterprise D. Um, and he explains that he finally confronts why he's doing this. And he, he says to Lily, he says, They invade our space and we fall back. They assimilate entire worlds and we fall back. Not again. The line must be drawn here. This far and no further. 
and I will make them pay for what they've done. And this is when it's all revealed to Lily. She realizes who he is. Um, he's very much like Captain Ahab. And this is, and while she's confronting Captain Picard, he comes to realize who he is, that he is much like Captain Ahab. And if he continues this, um, this battle against the Borg, if he continues to fight against them uh, and potentially not win, he's going to sacrifice not only the ship, his crew, but himself in the process, just like Captain Ahab did, um, and all for revenge. But um, eventually um, he's convinced to abandon ship, to uh, set the auto-destruct system, to destroy the ship, and of course destroy all the Borg aboard. Um, uh, he arranges for the crew to get into their uh, escape pods and lifeboats and launch from the ship so that he can uh, set off the auto-destruct and destroy the ship while they um, travel to Earth and um, make a, um, a, a new life for themselves on the surface of Earth. Um, however, just before uh, leaving the Enterprise, um, Captain Picard hears the voice of Lieutenant Commander Data, and this is what leads him to go to engineering to try and find Data so that he can try and get him off the ship before it's destroyed. However, when Captain Picard makes it to engineering, um, he not only finds Lieutenant Commander Data, but he... Uh, is confronted by the Borg Queen, uh, who who says to him, uh, "Don't you remember me? Don't you remember the connection that we had?" And seemingly she was there aboard the Borg Cube, um, or at some point during his assimilation process. And she says, "Don't you remember? We I envisioned that we would be equals." Um, and that they had, they would have this kind of personal connection with one another. And uh, Captain Picard has these little, these flashbacks to his assimilation, and he remembers her. He remembers that she was there. She was present in some way, shape, or form uh, while he was Locutus of Borg. Um, and. Uh, She uh, says that uh, she no longer needs Captain Picard. She has found a new equal in the form of uh, Lieutenant Commander Data, who has she's in the process of crafting human skin onto. She has uh, replaced a part of his arm. Uh, she's uh, replaced uh, a part of his uh, face with human skin. So one part of his face looks human, the other part... Uh, has the the gold tinge that data's skin usually has um and that and the ball queen also says that data is now with her she orders him to uh uh decrypt the encrypted 
codes of the Enterprise computer so that she can have access. Picard, Captain Picard is taken um, prisoner and uh, held by the Borg. Um, even though uh, Captain Picard offered himself in, um, in exchange for Data, but Data chose to stay with the Borg Queen. Um, as I say, Data uh, decrypts all the information. He also deactivates the self-destruct sequence of the ship. And then um, on Earth at this time, uh, Zephram Cochran, Commander William Riker, and Geordie LaForge are aboard the warp ship Phoenix, about to launch the Phoenix and engage in the first um, uh, test flight of the warp drive, uh, as has been planned and has as uh, is predicted to happen. Um, however, uh, before this, Zephram Cochran is a little reticent because. Over the time that he has spent with the Enterprise crew, the engineers that have been uh, aiding him in getting the Phoenix ready to launch, uh, he has been informed about the fact that he is now considered to be a living legend in the 24th century. He has schools named after him. He has a statue, a marble, 20 feet tall statue in Bozeman, Montana, um, uh, uh, depicting him reaching out his hand towards the future, and he's a very inspirational character. Where, whereas in reality, at this point at least, he uh, is um, intoxicated most of the time, and uh, he uh, reveals that he only created the Phoenix for financial gain, for money. Um, but eventually, um, after he sobers up, uh, uh, Commander Riker uh, is able to convince Zeph from Cochrane that what he's doing will usher in a new era of uh, innovation and peace for everybody on Earth and for the entire galaxy. That, that humanity will be uh, introduced to a wider, uh, a wider universe of... Um, species and possibilities so it will completely rejuvenate the entire planet uh, if he's to do this thing to launch his his ship uh, so they eventually do launch um, and they head into space and they get ready to engage the warp drive uh, but in space aboard the the Enterprise E um, Captain Picard watches um, with no form of um, uh, way to stop an attack that is ordered by the Borg Queen um, to, uh, to destroy the Phoenix. And she, in fact, asks Commander Data to launch torpedoes at the ship and destroy it. And if the Phoenix is destroyed, then that's it. The, the future is lost. Um, but Data does launch the the torpedoes, but uh, the torpedoes miss the ship, the Phoenix, and um, this causes uh, the Borg Queen to scream, Data, because she realises that Data has betrayed her, 
and then uh, Data turns to her and he says to her what the Borg usually usually say to all of the other species just before they assimilate them. And he says, resistance is futile. Uh, and then he ruptures one of the coolant tanks near the warp um near the warp core and this causes uh, corrosive coolant uh, to spread throughout uh, engineering which of course would eat away at all the biological components of the Borg um, including the Borg Queen uh, and also human uh, flesh as well so uh, Captain Picard tries to get to higher ground uh, um, and uh, the Borg Queen tries to pursue Captain Picard to try and defeat him and pull him into this toxic uh, gas. Um, and she gets a hold of his leg and she tries to pull him down. But out of this uh, mist, uh, Lieutenant Commander Data rises and he gets a hold of the Borg Queen. And he pulls her away from Captain Picard into the, the, the corrosive coolant vapour. And because uh, she has biological components, just as the other Borg drones do, it eats away at her biological components and it eventually neutralizes her, deactivates her, and she screams in terror. And as a result, all of the other Borg drones aboard the ship are disabled and they start to malfunction. And um, apparently the Borg threat has been neutralized and then um, um, the uh, the coolant is uh, extracted from the engineering section to allow um, Captain Picard to make it down to the, the ground again so that he can um, be reunited with Lieutenant Commander Data uh, and so that they can try and make the necessary repairs to take back the the enterprise um, but the phoenix the first warp flight of the phoenix takes place they jump into warp um, they travel um, many miles away from earth um, then they look back and they, they see the the green and blue marble that is our planet from uh, a distance away and uh and, it, and the mission is a success, and Zephram Cochran is completely um, is inspired by this. He's rejuvenated by this flight, by what um, this flight could be the, the beginning of. And soon after, the, the, the Phoenix returns to Earth, um, and they... Uh, and Zephram Cochran, Lily Sloan, and the crew uh, of the Enterprise, and also some of the the uh, inhabitants of Bozeman, Montana, in the surrounding area, uh, watch from a distance as an alien ship descends to the ground, very near to the warp drive facility. Um, and, of course, this is the moment of first contact. And the alien ship that is uh, is landing is a Vulcan ship. And of course, the Vulcans are one of the 
the most closely aligned alien races and one of the most well-known alien races in all of Star Trek and all of the Star Trek franchise. Of course, um, uh, Captain Spock, Leonard Nimoy's character, was half human, half Vulcan. In fact, I believe Vulcans were the first alien race ever depicted on screen in the form of Leonard Nimoy. Um, so it seems fitting, and it is fitting, that they are the first alien race who encounter Earth in uh, the 21st century. Uh, and who were drawn to humanity as a result of their innovation and the first test of this uh, faster than light warp drive. Um, and of course, because uh, Zephram Cochran is well known and legendary throughout history for being the the pilot and the creator of the warp drive, he steps forward um, to. Um, welcome the Vulcans to Earth uh, and uh, he offers them a, a hand and uh, the Vulcans uh, put up their hand in the in a uh, in a v-shape in the Vulcan salute that uh, we're all familiar with in the Star Trek franchise but then uh, they eventually uh, shake Zephram Cochran's um, hand and they are welcomed into the bar where Zephram Cochran was uh, renowned for singing and dancing in and uh, um, at this point this is when the Captain Jean-Luc Picard realises that they have corrected the timeline that the future will progress as it's supposed to and um, that when they return to the 24th century, it will be as it was before they left. Um, so then uh, Captain Picard and the senior staff of the Enterprise bid farewell to Bozeman, Montana, and to Lily Sloan, um, and they uh, beam away, go back to their ship, and then, as Lily looks up to the sky, she sees the, the a temporal vortex uh, occurring within space, seemingly su to suggest that the Enterprise has returned to its own time. And then we watch as uh, the Vulcans become closely uh, associated with and uh, have their own first in contact with humanity in the form of Zephram Cochran. Um, as played by James Cromwell, uh, starting the um, the jukebox and uh, and uh, giving the Vulcans their first uh, um, taste of uh, human uh, entertainment and music, and uh, and that's the end of the film. And what an incredible, incredible film! Um, Apparently there are many variations of stories that were being uh, um, in, uh, being thought that they could that could they could incorporate into a movie, um, but um, I like I, I like the fact that this film is very much um, it's it's it has kind of a horror kind of um, um, essence to it uh an unsettlement um and 
it but it and it's it's very dark it's one of the the darker um films of the star trek franchise but it is at its heart it is about hope it is about overcoming fear and uh prejudice and fighting for um something that is worth believing in um and it's also uh you know a, a, an essential story and a crossroads for uh the characters uh, especially captain john luke picard who has never really faced up to the fact that he was assimilated and um, it's a great sequel in fact to the the two-part episode of the best of both worlds from star trek the next generation tv series uh in which captain picard was assimilated by the borg and that's a great two-parter as well to watch uh the best of both worlds um it's uh uh really it's a it's a great a great great two-part episode and um star trek uh first contact is a is a great um sequel to that two-part episode and it's a great film uh altogether really it's it's a great film even if it wasn't a star trek film it would i believe it's 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 a great film um and it stands on its own as a as a um, as a spectacular film in every regard with regards to the acting uh, as well as the special effects the music um which was uh composed by the the great uh film composer jerry goldsmith uh who was the first composer of the first star trek uh film star trek the motion picture and his music in this is absolutely uh, phenomenal um and definitely worth uh listening to um ev- uh all the time uh because it's uh it's, it's one of those soundtracks that you can repeat over and over again and never get bored of i think um but yeah so i think i'm gonna leave it there for now um it's one of my favorite films um and also one of the the best star trek films as i said and uh if you want a good film um and you want perhaps an introduction uh an easy introduction to the star trek film franchise then check out star trek first contact and um yeah you won't be disappointed but uh, yeah so i'm gonna leave it there for now uh, i just want to say thank you for listening uh i hope you like what you heard and i'll talk to you again soon oh and uh live long and prosper If you like what you heard in uh, this episode of uh, the Mark Hastings Experience, um, and if you want to check out some more of my poetry, um, then you uh, you can head over to markthepoet.me, uh, which is my website, and you'll find uh, lots of the poems that I've written over the years. Um, if you want to uh, check out some of my poetry uh, in uh, book form, uh, you can go to Amazon and you'll find um, all 10 of my books that I've had published. Um, they're all books of poetry, um, uh, books of stories, uh, books of uh, memories and uh, experiences. Um, and there'll be more to come. And uh, if you would love to um, contribute uh, to... Uh, 
to the podcast, then you can do so by heading over to Patreon and searching for Mark the Poet. And uh, your uh, your support would be greatly appreciated. Um, but uh, as I said, I hope you liked what you heard in this uh, episode. Um, and I'll talk to you again soon.